Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Most of us have been to weddings, and the older we are, the more weddings we probably have been to. And when you you know that in most cases, it's not cheap. They have put out a lot of money to have basically a party for the people that they're inviting. Because technically, they don't really need to have everybody there. They could go to the Justice of the Peace or they could go anywhere else. But because they want people involved in the experience, they invite those who are family members, who are friends, who are coworkers to come to their wedding. And so many of us have experienced weddings. The most recent one that I know in the church is, is here today, and that's Zach and his wife, right? Okay. So we know, Jasmine, so we know that they just recently got married in September, right? So many of you might have gone to their wedding and experienced the joy that's associated with the wedding. Well, when we look at Jesus, we're able to see that Jesus was just a, an ordinary person. He went through the human aspects of life. He participated in the social dynamics of life. And we see that, that Jesus, you know, being who he was, yes, he was indeed God. He was also man. But the fact is, he lived on earth, and so he was walking as a human being. And so when we look in the scripture, we're able to see there, that there are things in scripture that are tied in to the regular things of life that Jesus participated in. So today, we're able to see that he went to a wedding. He was invited to a wedding, probably because his mother knew the person, or they could have been relatives. We don't exactly know. What we do know is that his mom was invited, and that Jesus was also invited to this wedding along with the four disciples that he had just chosen. Now, in chapter 1, as we heard last week, Jesus had chose some disciples. He was beginning the process of ministry. However, publicly, it had not started yet. So we see that, that Jesus had four, had four individuals with him. There was Philip, there was Andrew, there was Peter, and there was Nathaniel. We also know that the place where Jesus was going to attend this wedding was in Cana of Galilee. We also know that Nathaniel was from there. So possibly, it could have been a relative of Nathaniel. But we see that Jesus is at this wedding. And as we look at the scripture, it lets us know that on the third day, a wedding took place, and I'm in John chapter 2. And the subject this morning is the miracle and the market. The miracle and the market. And so we see on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus, his disciples, had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Let's look at this for a minute. So we see that Jesus and his disciples are at this wedding. 
And just to let you know, when we, when we look at weddings, especially back then, we know that virgins would be married on a Wednesday. That's the day that was prescribed for virgins to be married. And so most likely, it's a Wednesday, which is the third day. Now, where do we get the third day from? They're probably associated with the fact when he chose his disciple. And the last disciple that he had chosen was Nathaniel, which was most likely on Monday. So when we look at the third day, it was the third day from Monday, and so it's a Wednesday. And if it's on a Wednesday, it's a virgin that's getting married. And so that's how we can know what day of the week it was. So here, on the third day, Jesus is at this wedding in Cana. And what, what else do we know about weddings during that time? Well, there were three particular events that centered around the wedding. And what they were was this. The first one is that they would have the marriage feast, this huge feast, and a ceremony. And then they would actually... Um, go throughout the neighborhood or throughout the territory or the community, and as they would be escorted through the streets of their home, people would come out and people would say, yeah, and, and shout, and they would be excited so that they could celebrate the wedding of the couple that's being married. So it was kind of like a community thing. It takes place here, except for we don't ride around in the street. So they're doing this. They're, everybody is celebrating along with them. And then the third thing is, is that the marriage celebration would last for seven days. Can you imagine that? It would last for a whole week. That, that costs a lot of money, y'all. You know, just think, you party in a week, and you have four or 500 people who's at the party. You're going to need food. You're going to need possibly accommodations. You're going to need wine. And that's what they needed, right? They had wine. And something about the wine. The wine was not unfermented. Okay? It was fermented wine. It was wine, not grape juice. Because people tend to look at things in the scripture and not call it what it is. It was wine. How do we know that for sure? Well, we do know that when we look at the fact that a lot of the water back then, it wasn't, it wasn't drinkable. And so they had to use another beverage for, for you know, the drink. And it was, in most cases, it was wine because good water was rare. So they would use wine. Now, that's not to say that they were getting inebriated but they used wine. And even when we look in the Old Testament, we're able to see that people got drunk in the Old Testament. Why? Because the wine was fermented. How do you get drunk off of grape juice? So the scripture clearly lets us know that it was a strong drink. And it's, the Bible speaks about wine or strong drink as to being in a situation where we're no longer in control. So when, we, when people drink and they drink and they get drunk, that's a problem because they're out of control. So we're not getting into all that today. The fact is, I wanted to point out it was real wine and Jesus was at 
a marriage where they served wine. So he's there along with his disciples and his mom, and we see here that, that um, something happens. What happens? They run out of wine. Are you kidding me? Who was the manager? Who was the person who was orchestrating this wedding? Why was it that they didn't have enough wine? I don't know the answer. All I know is that the text lets us know that they ran out of wine. Hmm. So what do we see? We see here that there's a problem. Well, why is there a problem? Because in their culture, if they ran out of wine, it was going to be an embarrassment. It was going to be an embarrassment to the people who had the wedding, to the family who had the wedding. It would be a disgrace running out of wine. Really? Well, you think they could have gone to the store. Well, you think they could have, so they could have gone to the neighbor next door. Would they actually have enough wine next door to take care of meeting the needs of the people who are there at the wedding? Most likely not, because there were a lot of people there. So, so Jesus' mother notices it, and she's probably a part of the hostesses that are there helping with the wedding. We know that she must have a part in it because she's concerned about what's taking place. And what do we see? We see that she goes up to Jesus. Hey, 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 son, we have a problem. And she says, they have no more wine. And Jesus probably said, well, what do you want me to do? Notice that is kind of what he said. Look at what he says. He says, dear woman. Now, when they use dear woman, it's a term of endearment. So he wasn't like getting smart with his mom, calling her woman. Now, today, if we use that term, we use it in a smart way, wouldn't we? It's like. What you talking about, woman? You know, or something along those lines? No, that's not how Jesus used it. It was a term of endearment, and it was a term of respect. And so Jesus says, dear woman, why do you invite me? He's like, what do you, what do you want me to do, Mary? Well, obviously, she went to him for a reason. Now, she knew that Jesus could probably figure it out. She had lived with Jesus for 30 years, so she knew how smart Jesus was. She had experienced something with Jesus, her son. Now, she might not have experienced any miracles, but she experienced growing up with him and knew that he was a, he was a smart man. And so, Jesus, can you help us with this situation? We have a situation. It's kind of like that commercial when you see the little boy and he's sitting on the toilet, it is so funny. And he's, he's going to the bathroom, and what does he say? Mom, Mom, I have a situation. There was a situation here, and it wasn't good. It really wasn't good. And so Jesus answers her, dear woman, why do you involve me? And now why did he say that? He said it because it wasn't his time yet. So what we see here, actually, is that with, with Mary, his mom, she has a social concern. Socially, she is concerned about the situation. Listen, this is going to be an embarrassment if it isn't done about it. And most likely, the, the wedding 
had just occurred, and they had a whole week, and they had a week of wine that they needed. Serious situation. Jesus, and Jesus is saying, well, what do you want, what do you want me to do? The reason why he said that, because Jesus is looking not at the social situation, but he's looking at the fact that, listen, my purpose here is to go to the cross. There's a greater need than what's at this marriage right now. But we also begin to see a human aspect of Jesus and his concern about our social issues, about the things that take place in our lives and the critical needs that we have and, and the predicaments that we find ourselves in. And so when we look at Jesus now, he says, you know what? I'm going to take the opportunity to do something here. And when he takes the opportunity to, to do what he's getting ready to do, it's going to be the start or the genesis of his ministry. Because soon as he does this act, it's all him. Things are going to be different for him. Life is going to be different for him. Why? Because he has now on display of who he really is, and this was going to be the beginning. And so we see, as we continue with the text, his mother said to the servants, now it's almost like his mom just dismissed what he had just said. She kind of like blew Jesus off and said, you know what, Jesus, I, I know you can fix it. So you know what, let me go ahead and get this ball rolling. And, and that's what she does. And so look at what she says. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Does that sound like a mother? You know, I'm, I'm taking control. Sounds just like a mother, doesn't it? She, she, you could be talking to her and talking to her until you blew in the face. And she says, I don't know what you say, boy. I'm, I'm go this is what I want, and you're going to do it. You know, that sounds like my mom. But the, fa but the fact is, look, she's a mom. Okay, and she knows, she says, Jesus can fix this. Jesus can do something. So she has faith in her son that he can resolve the issue. So she goes to Jesus. Now, she doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. She doesn't know how he's going to fix it. All that she knows is that, Jesus, just do something about this because it's going to be an embarrassment. So she says to the servant, do what he says. And at that point in time, Jesus said, you know what, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something. Let's look at what happens next. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremony washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so that they fill them to the brim. Now, what we understand about these jars, these huge jars that they had that could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water, that they were used for drinking water when it was clean, but as well as ceremonial cleansing. And what they, by washing their hands with the ceremony, it was the ritualism that was part of what they did. And so it was dual purpose with the water that was, that was in these jars. So it's for drinking as well as for ceremonial cleansing as part of their religious ritual. And, and so it was for purification. And, and so now Jesus says, okay, all right, get these jars over there. 
So he does what they tell them. Now, isn't it interesting? Now, think about this picture here. The servants know that there's no wine. Everybody else does it, except for the, the master. He probably knows, but nobody else knows that there's wine, that there's no wine. If they did, they would have started talking. Everybody would have known. It's like as soon as one person gets it, they would have started down the line. Hey, there's no wine. There's no wine. And then he would go to the next person. You know, there's no wine. And then by the time it's like, what? No wine. Everybody would have been, where's the wine? What do you mean there's no wine? Can you imagine? It would have been chaotic. So nobody knows, but the servants know. And the servants are probably like, what? Fill them up with water. Are you kidding me? And the water's probably not clean. Who knows? All right, we just do it. So they were obedient to what they were told to do. And so they fill us up with water. They, they take it to Jesus. And, and then we see here, he, they, they listen to him. They fill him up to the top. So now you have about 150 to 180 gallons of water. Now draw, Jesus says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, through the servant, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now? This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, now, look at this picture. The jars are probably in the kitchen, or close to the kitchen. They tell him, yeah, Jesus tell him, listen, dip some of the water out and take it to the master. And they're probably like, what? It's nothing but water. So somewhere between the kitchen and going to the master, the water changed the wine. And when, he got, when the master got the cup and started drinking it, maybe they didn't see the color change or, or see what happened. They probably just took the cup. And, and, but somewhere along that trip, that journey, there was a change. That was miraculous, wasn't it? That was a miracle. See, that was a sign. Jesus had just now done a miracle. Could anybody else have done that? No. Did his mom know that he was going to do that? No. So now at this point, Jesus begins his public ministry because he has given a sign that he's God as well as man. That was a sign that he had creative power. Not only did he have creative power, he was able to make things change without him even saying it. He could just make it happen. The same Jesus that was standing there before them was the same Jesus who spoke and called the earth into existence. He was the creator, God. He, was, he had creative power. 
Except for now, he had become incarnate. And so God incarnate was really doing the same thing that he was able to do before he was incarnate. And that means taking on flesh. So in his humanity, because it was the will of the Father, and he was now acting out of obedience, it was time to start his ministry, even though he had just said, it's not my time yet. But he wasn't talking about something social, he was talking about the greater need that was a need for men, for what? For salvation. And so what do we see? Jesus created power. But there's something else that we can see here too. When we look at the pots, and usually when we see some things in scripture, especially with John, John points out when he uses the signs or the miracles, it's usually pointing to something greater. Now, mind you, in chapter one, Jesus had just talked about the Pharisees and the leadership and, and how that something had gone awry with their thinking process. And basically, when you look at the system that they were under, they, they weren't able to really be close to God. And that when you look at the system that they were abiding by, it had become empty. It was just ritual. They were just going through motions. There wasn't really no feeling behind it. They had lost the joy. Now watch this. Jesus takes the empty jars, which represents the emptiness of the system that they were abiding by, and he changes the water into wine. And wine is a symbol for joy. Now, if wine is a symbol for joy, that means Jesus put joy into the emptiness of the, of the, of the um, tanks, of the water jars. Well, what, what did that mean? Jesus, by him going to the cross, would now change the system to put joy back into worship that had been lost. Now, I want you to see something else. Jesus was to the wedding. He was invited to a marriage, and he went. Have you invited Jesus to your marriage? And what does it really mean to invite Jesus to your marriage? Because we see here, by Jesus being present at the wedding, he provided joy that was necessary at the wedding because if the wine ran out, that means the joy was going to run out because the joy would have definitely changed to disappointment and turmoil. Now look at, look at the connection. When you have joy in your marriage, it can't be absent of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that provides the joy. So if your marriage is, isn't where it needs to be, maybe the question that one should ask is that, is Jesus really here? And is, are we giving him rule and reign to be master in our marriage? Because we know, based upon what the dynamic is here, that when Jesus is present in the marriage, there's going to be joy. Which, rep, which is represented by the wine. And I'm not telling you to go buy some wine so that you can get the joy from that. 
Now, some of you might need someone to have some joy, but I'm, that's, I'm not going to talk about that. All right? But the fact is, we all need joy in our vessels, whether we're married or not. And we can only get that through the presence of Jesus being in our marriage and in our lives. And so, but we also see one more thing before I go on. We see here that Jesus is concerned about the social. He did something about it. He didn't have to. And it was nighttime, so all the stores were closed. He couldn't have gone to the store. What was just, just to give you an idea, 180 gallons of wine, or 150, when you do the math and you use eight ounces, that would have been 2,400 glasses of wine. That's how much wine it was. Now, you know that somebody was probably drinking too much. But the text doesn't let us know that. But if we use our imagination, <laughs> we probably know that somebody had four glasses or more. <laughs> right? All right, let's move on. So we see the miracle, but now we have to see, we see, we see a change. And as we go on and we begin to see from verses 12, Verse 12 down to 23, it says that after this, he went down to Capernaum. So Jesus left the wedding. The wedding's over. He did something about it. He started his public ministry. We, we see here that he, he was a blessing to those at the marriage, at the celebration. They didn't run out of wine. So he moves on. And he goes down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. Capernaum is kind of where Jesus hung out. That's kind of where he was. That's kind of what was his, his place to go. Where do we know about Capernaum too? We know that his best friends were in Capernaum. Now, you know Jesus had some best friends, right? He had some best friends. Not only the disciples, but you know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? They were his close friends. When Jesus would go down to Capernaum, a lot of times he would stay with them. That's why they had such a close relationship. And that's why Mary and, and, and Martha got the way that they did when they were like, yo, yo, Lazarus died because they thought, Jesus, can't you come do something about this situation? That's another situation. He did do something about it, but on his time, not their time. So we say that Jesus is social. Jesus is concerned about people. Jesus wants to do something in the lives of people, and he shows it. But then he goes down. They stay there for a couple days, and it's, it's, it's the Passover. And so we see here when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove off from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those he, who sold doves, he said, get those out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a mark? We almost see the opposite now. Here, 
You have a marriage where there's joy and there's celebration and everybody's happy and everybody is, is, in, is in, I'm not going to say praise mode, but everybody's in joy mode. And now, a couple days later, Jesus goes up to the temple where, where the, the Jewish Passover is going to be, and he, he goes inside the temple, and, and there was an area that was the Gentile court. That's what it was for the, for the Gentiles. And, and, and he sees, like, what on earth is going on up in here? I, I can see Jesus now. He's like, what? Now notice what Jesus says. In his father's house. The temple represented God or the presence of God. And so it was a place of worship. It was holy ground, so to speak. And, and so what we see, Jesus comes up in there and he sees all these, all these, a marketplace. Now here's what had happened. You, the temple, when the priests would have to sacrifice in the temple, and so people, they had retailers who would have animals available, doves and, and sheep or, or whatever. They would have animals available to purchase. And people would purchase them right outside the temple, and then they would go inside and for the priest so that they could be offered as a sacrifice. They also could buy some other things. They could buy oil. They could buy meal. They, they could buy a whole lot of things that were, that were associated with the sacrifice. Well, the priests like, said, wait a minute. We need to get in on some of this action. They're making too much money out there. I mean, yo. <laughs> we need to be making some of that, that money. It's like they were getting jealous because the retailers were making money. So what they did was they said, we're going to start our thing. And that's what they did. So they started setting up the area inside the Gentile court. And, and they had all these marketplaces set up in the inside. The ringleader was the chief, was the, the, the head priest. Was, he was um, the top guy. I mean, he's the one that allowed it. I think his name was Annas. And he was the high priest. And so Annas was the one that, that said, hey, man, we need a cut of this stuff. And, and, and so the priest set up all these stores with inside the temple. It wasn't for that. So it had turned commercial. Now, now let's be real. Let's be real, y'all. Don't we have some churches in 2019 that basically they're marketplaces? Okay, let's, let's be real. It, it's, it's not about genuine worship. It, it's about money, money making. I mean, some of these large, gigantic churches, and it's like, oh my gosh, this place had to cost like $50 million. Really? Uh, why do you need a place that costs $50 million? I'm, I'm serious. You don't. It, shouldn't a lot of that money be used for ministry? Why is it into a building like that? And so when you think about what's taking place here, it's, it's almost the same thing. The priests had lost focus. 
They were focusing on the money as opposed to the ministry. And that's what had happened. And so Jesus comes up in the joint, and he's like, ah, makes a whip. A whip represents judgment. He, uh, he started whipping that whip around. Boom. Boom. Turning tables over. Start chasing. And they're like, this is all mad. Who is this guy? Now, now look at the transition. He goes from being at a wedding where everything is joyous, and now he's angry. Jesus is angry. He's angry because of the injustice that has taken place. He's angry because they're ripping off the people. He's angry because they had the leaders of the church had lost focus and they got caught up in the money instead of caught up into the worship. And so now Jesus said, hey, you want to turn my father's house into a marketplace? How dare you? saying though and people are hearing this who's this guy his father's house he's just one of us who this guy think he is he knew who he was I think sometimes we forget who we are Jesus knew he was Jesus and he knew what he was able to do and why but the fact is if we have Jesus in our lives do we really know who we are in him? If we have Jesus in our operating on a regular basis and we truly have allowed him to be Lord of our life, then he's actually directing our actions and our behavior. But then why is it that we don't comprehend what we are to do? Jesus is being led by the Spirit. That's how he's led. Jesus is actually an example of what it is as a human to be led by the Spirit. And we, in our humanity, because of the presence of Jesus in our lives, can be led by the Spirit because the Spirit indwells us. So if the Spirit indwells us, why, it, why is it so difficult to just allow him to be God in us? Is it the fact that we want to still be in control? Maybe that's it. Because the power's there. The same power that's causing Jesus to do this is the same power that lives within us. How come we're not using it? Just a thought. So Jesus, he, he rips the joint up. He's talking about my father. This is my father's house. And they like think he's lost his mind. And so we see in verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written out in the scripture that Jesus is going to do this. It says, zeal for your house will consume me. And that's in the psalm. I think it's Psalm 62 or 58 or something like that. But it's in the psalm. And, and so they remember Wait a minute. It says this in the scripture that he's going to have a zeal for his father's house. Jesus knew who he was. He knew who his, father's, who his father was. 
operating as the son of God, he is exhibiting an action on behalf of the father. He's exhibiting an action on behalf of the father. He is angry. But this is righteous indignation. See, there's a difference in the anger with righteous indignation opposed to our anger, what we tend to do. Are we getting angry for the right stuff? Or do we get angry just to protect ourselves? And if we're getting angry to protect ourselves and it's not actually righteous indignation, then that's why it becomes sin. See, Jesus didn't sin, and he was angry. And it was an emotion that was a part of who God was. He had that emotion of anger, and he gave us that emotion of anger. So being angry or getting angry isn't wrong. It only is wrong when it's out of, what do I want to say here? When it's wrong when it's not attached to the right thing. That's a bigger subject than what we're able to talk about now, but I just wanted to bring that out. So let's hurry up and down, okay? So we see here that here's what happens. So then in verse number 18, then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus, show us something. And look at what Jesus answered. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days? What on earth? He had too much wine up at the marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't worn off yet. Two days later. What's wrong with this guy? What's he talking about? destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days? He had lost his mind. He either had too much to drink or even smoking something. <laughs> I No, neither, right? So here's the Jews. The Jews replied, it has taken, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? Oh, my goodness. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need Man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now, now here, here it is. He tells them this. He was referring to himself, but what was he referring to? We all know what he's referring to at this point. He's talking about down at the cross. Three days. I'm going to die in three days. I'm going to be resurrected. He's talking about his body being the temple. That's what he's talking about. They're missing it. Because that's why they said, wait a minute. They think he's talking about the building. Guys, I know what I'm talking about. 
You're the ones that's missing it. See, there's going to be a change. It's not going to be about the temple anymore. There's going to be a change of the system. And it's going to go from doing all these sacrifices because the building is a place of worship. But the fact is, I'm going to be the one who saves you. That's going to change how you worship me. Because now, remember, the veil was ripped, and now everyone has free access in to worship God in an intimate way. Jesus, that was going to be the sign. So he's giving them a sign, but he's letting them know what's going to be in the future. But the fact is, he was giving signs all over the place, because what does the text say? He was doing miracles during the Passover. It lets us know that, right? So what were they looking at? They didn't believe. They didn't believe who Jesus was. And yet, the amazing thing about it, the disciples were believing. Text lets us know that. See, the disciples had just started following him. And so he was revealing himself not only to people, but now the ones who he had called to come with him. Wait a minute. This guy is, is different. He is different. He must be from the Father. We've never seen this before. Turns the water into wine, goes into the temple and tears the joint up and talks about, that's my father, and then he starts to do more miracles while at the Passover. Jesus' ministry has started. How is our ministry when it comes to Jesus? Did we ever get started? Jesus has a ministry for all of us. And the ministry hasn't changed. It's to be a disciple of Christ and to walk in him and to allow him to use us so that we can be used to make other disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are able to show us through the pages of holy writ, who Jesus is. We thank you for the eyewitness of John and how he was able to pin down through the Holy Spirit all these things that Jesus did and what what he was doing in terms of going to the cross. So Father, let, let this be real in our lives. And Lord, let these signs that we see Be real for us as we live out our faith. Lord, manifest yourself through our lives so that others will be touched and changed. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.